Welcome to the Smart Connector podcast, which helps entrepreneurs generate more impact, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons and become a smart connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. This podcast is sponsored by Virtual Non-Execs, the world's number one peer-to-peer board advisor community, which connects thousands of investors, entrepreneurs and advisors globally. Welcome to the Smart Connector podcast. Tonight's guest is Mark Stein. Welcome, Mark. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Jane. This is going to be fun, I hope. Oh, yeah, definitely. So Mark is a pricing expert who's led, coached, and taught on this topic for 30 years. And he's driven many company-wide pricing initiatives worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And he started and sold three companies of his own as well. So he's an entrepreneur in his own right, as well as a consultant and advisor. So what we're going to talk about this evening is how to dial in your pricing and achieve the value you're truly worth. And I know from my own and my client's experience that this is something that business owners often struggle to do, meaning they unintentionally undercharge, which of course hurts their growth and success. So we're going to make that a thing of the past, aren't we tonight, Mark? Let's hope so. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And you're all the way in Reno in Nevada as well, which is rather exciting considering that I'm just outside London in England. So, yep, that's all really cool as well. So let's get straight into it, Mark. I wanted to ask you, why does pricing matter? Wow. So pricing is probably the single most powerful business tool any company has. So if you imagine however much profit you're making right now, if you could raise your price by, let's just say 1%, all of that is profit. Mm -hmm. There's nothing there that's an additional cost. We just raised our price. And so if you imagine that you have overall 10% margin for your whole company and you raise your price 1% and it's all profit, that just means you increased your profit percentage by 10%. It is such a powerful lever for you. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I wonder how many people really think of it that way. Do you think Do you think people do join the dots? Oh, I don't think people think that way at all. I, no. I, I use that example because hopefully it gets you motivated and excited to say, yeah, I really do need to increase my pricing or at least get my pricing right. And by the way, most people need to increase their pricing. Yes, I've heard that. So why is it that there is a tendency for for business owners to undercharge? I mean, we're talking businesses large and small, right? Because you've consulted on some very big businesses and big kind of corporate pricing initiatives, as well as obviously small businesses. And you've run businesses of your own that have been profitable enough for people to come along and actually buy them. So so, you know, what's the kind of common denominator in all of this? If we, I guess I would choose the single common denominator is fear. Uh-huh. So let's talk about solopreneurs first, if I may. Uh, yes. so I love working with solopreneurs. And mm-hmm. as a general rule, most solopreneurs don't price high enough. They're not confident in what they're doing. They don't believe they deserve the price that they think they want to ask. Mm-hmm. 
and, the, and they're just afraid of it. Yes. I have an exercise I love to teach people to do. And, and I usually use you know, a fork and a spoon or any two devices. doesn't matter what it is. Pick two things up and say, this is a fork. This is a spoon. My price is $10,000. And you okay. want to say your price exactly the way you say this is a fork, right? It's just a fact. But uh-huh. most people go, my price is $10,000, right? It's like they're embarrassed to say the price. Yes. But it's just yes. a fact. Yes, yes. And of course, you know, people have a perception of you based on your price, don't they, in comparison to other people in your marketplace. So let's talk about how pricing and perception affect each other. Yeah, so price is absolutely a signal of quality. If you are the low price in your industry or you're among the lowest price in the industry, you might think you're winning more business but there is nobody in the world who thinks you are good, right? Everybody uses your price and where you are relative to your competition as an, an indicator of how good you are. I would much rather charge a really high price and have fewer customers. I would much rather charge a high price and offer a discount later if I had to, but I want people to see that I am really valuable and they only okay. see that because I have a really high price. Yeah, yeah. So I think you've really hit the nail on the head because obviously I don't, I'm not a pricing expert myself by any means, but obviously I have some, you know, solopreneurs and micro business owners in my audience. And I think this is an issue that affects all of them. I think you're right. Most people, they would always rather undercharge than overcharge. And you wonder whether it is maybe to do with, I don't know, maybe their self, maybe our, because I'm including me in this, you know, maybe it's to do with our self-image and our self-worth and not wanting to people to uh, have keep to put their expectations too high. I don't really, but I'm sure it's all psychological, isn't it? So, so, that's where it starts, isn't it? <laughs> it absolutely is. So let's use an analogy of dating for a second. Now, you're a lady, so you probably rarely asked guys out. But as guys, we would always have to ask girls out. And it's Mm -hmm. embarrassing if they ever said no. You're like, oh, my God, that's just, you know, there must be something wrong with me. Yeah. Well, now here we we are. I'm trying to sell you a product. I put a price on it. And if you say no to me, there must be something wrong with me, right? Now, you go through the same thing we had to in the dating world where someone's going to say no to you and you're going to take that as a self-image, I'm not good enough, I'm not worth it, and it's just painful. But imagine that, in fact, I love losing business. It Uh makes me happy. And and so when you can get to the point that says, I don't care if they don't want to hire me, totally okay. And when you can get to that point, then you can start to manage your price well. Yeah, I mean, that's really powerful because, you know, most people do care. (laughs) Most people want to win that business and ideally they'd like to never lose it, right? So why is it that you actually like losing business then, Mark? Oh, because it just says, look, I can't serve everybody. I have Mm. to serve the right people. And so if you don't want to hire me, I just, I wasn't the right person for you. And that's totally okay. Right. It isn't my self-image. It isn't me. It's just it wasn't the right fit. Yeah. And I think that's totally okay. Yeah. And that's a very good point because I, you know, I know, I suppose I've been running my program for a 
about 18 months to two years now. And I definitely recognize, and I think this is what happens when you start running these programs and you're having sales calls with people, is that after a while, you do realize that the same type of person is stepping forward and saying, this is for me. And the same type of person is saying, oh, this is not for me. This is a bit too, I haven't got the money or this is, you know, not for me right now. And that is validating your offer, isn't it? When Because the more people step forward and say, yeah, actually, I can do this. I can do this and I see its value. The more you know, okay, I've got to go more and more towards this person. So I get that. It's to do with fit, isn't it? It is absolutely to do with fit. Now, can I put fit in the in a perspective of pricing for just a second? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, so in my world of pricing, I always do what's called value-based pricing. Yes. And so value-based yeah. pricing means I'm going to charge what a customer is willing to pay. Now, yeah. I never know what a customer is willing to pay. It's impossible to know. I can't read your mind. Got it. But I want to get closer and closer to understanding how you value my product, what the value is to you for my product. Okay. And so now what happens is I can start to look at different companies and say, which company gets the most value? Well, what are the problems they're fighting? And if I can solve that problem, but this other company doesn't have that problem or has a different problem and it's not as profitable, it's really obvious to me which company is going to be easier to win with. And that's exactly what happens with us as we go to other customers in in any field, right? Which ones have problems that they would pay a lot to solve and which ones don't? Okay. That's very interesting because I was actually having this conversation with one of my clients because I do have some creative agency owners, let's just say, because obviously that's my background. So I was having uh, this conversation with a creative agency owner, and she happens to have a graphic design product and background. That's her kind of thing. Beautiful designer, really good at what she does. And she wants to, you know, she's very conscious of this issue of value-based pricing. But, you know, it is difficult. She said, well, you know, I need to tell them how much it's worth you know, in terms of the impact that it's going to have on their bottom line and the business. And I was like, well, look, something like, you know, brand identity, for example, brand equity, it is a sophisticated thing, you know, to actually measure the impact of that is not easy because most brand initiatives, the, the true impact shows up over time. So you can't really play that card. But what you're saying is, no, you just have to pick the clients with the biggest problems. It's yeah. not, well, yeah. It, yeah. Let me see what you just said slightly differently. And I think it'll be, yeah. it'll be really clear. And that yes. is, I can't walk into one of these clients and say, here's what the value of a new brand design is. Yeah. But what I can do is I can select the clients who have said, we really need a new brand image because it's truly impacting our business. And those are the clients who get a ton of value. They've essentially self-selected into my world. And now I know, oh, they can afford my fee, whatever my fee happens to be. And I mean, certainly when we had, when I ran my brand identity agency, well, most of the time the clients would come to us and they would say, this is our budget. We wouldn't usually 
we wouldn't usually tender on the basis of price or anything like that. They would say, we've got a million dollars for this campaign. It's like, oh, that's fantastic. That's really nice piece of work, a million dollars. But it was because they had already decided that was what it was worth to them because they had to satisfy their shareholders that they were taking this seriously. And that was the kind of budget that they felt, you know, a million dollars or whatever spent on a brand identity. Okay, we're going to get something good for that. And, you know, we're going to impress the shareholders and the share price, you know, will increase because we're looking fresh and modern and we've done this in the last year and all the rest of it. We didn't have to do anything really except win the business. I mean, that's obviously another (laughs) topic of conversation, but yeah, so it's very interesting, isn't it? You know, that thing of like, we don't always have to justify, do we? No, we don't. Sometimes sometimes clients have a big enough budget for us. Yeah. I I don't think that happens very often in many companies that I coach or work with. Most Mm -hmm. of the time we're proposing prices and then helping my client justify the price. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. So that is, you know, how do you actually do that then? When you say you're working with a client and they're coming to you, typically I would imagine maybe some of your clients might be consulting consultants or consulting businesses. Would that be right? Because, you know, they would be the ones that might be asked to tender for a piece of work or who who is your kind of ideal client, I should really say, Mark? Yeah. (laughs) So I love working with almost all sizes of companies because okay. it's just refreshing to see different problems and apply mm. different solutions. And I can take a take something I've learned from a solopreneur and apply it yeah. to a multi-billion dollar company. And yeah, it's just yeah. you can be able to do that. So I do some for consulting and, we, and I'm thrilled to talk about consultants if you want, since that's some of your uh, some of your background too, or some of your customers too. And in the world of consulting, it's hard, right? It really is hard. Most consultants try to charge on a time and materials basis. And I have to tell you, that's a horrendous pricing technique uh, Mm -hmm. because both your and your client's interests are not aligned, right? They want you to do it quickly and you want to do it slowly. (laughs) Good point. And so what you really want to do is be able to say to a client, what's this worth to you if we can go solve this problem? And then we can give them a bid for solving the problem. Now, a lot of times what happens in the consulting world is we just don't know. We don't know how much work it's going to be to get to the solution to the problem. And what I like to recommend then is, can we do a discovery phase where you pay me a small fee? I'll come in and do a bunch of the work and discovery and understand what I think the real problem is. And then we can make a better proposal as to how to go solve it. And I'll give you Mm -hmm. another proposal at that point in time. And then we can do it based on value. Yep. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense because otherwise it really is, well, we say finger in the air, right? Which is just guesswork, isn't it? Yes. Now, now I want to be really careful. I said that we're going to do a proposal phase or discovery phase. Yeah. And then we're going to write a proposal once we understand what the solution is and how much work it's going to be. Yeah. I don't want you to think that means we're going to do cost plus pricing. Okay. So if I find the solution and I say, look, I think it's going to take a hundred man hours to go do this job. Yeah. And we want to charge a thousand dollars per man hour. So that's a hundred thousand dollars. This is what I call cost plus pricing. And I would not do that. Okay. Here's what I would do instead Mm. is I would say, it looks like it's going to take about a hundred hours to do that. 
we'd like to get $1,000 an hour. So my minimum price is going to be $100,000. But it turns out if we solve this problem, we're going to make this client $10 million in profit. They would probably pay me 10% of that if I could deliver $10 million. So I'm going to ask for a million dollars for this project. Yeah. Yeah. Because the thing is, you know, what you do, it, it is measurable, right? So, because it's going to have a very clear impact on the bottom line, isn't it? So I can understand why that's a, it's a good argument. It, it may be harder for some people, like, as I said, my client, who's the brand designer to to really be able to be as specific and as tangible as that but i have other clients for example i have a procurement consultant who absolutely his job is to make money save money you know impact the bottom line so i think when you know the closer your offer is aligned with the money really then the easier it is i think to make that argument what do you think yep. I think you're right that it's easier, but I want to take on the challenge okay. of pricing for a brand designer. If okay. I may. Yes, right? absolutely. Because you gave me some really good hints earlier to say, here's how I could go price for this. Yeah. So if I were a salesperson and I were trying to sell brand design and I knew that they loved me and really wanted me, but I want to charge them a lot of money, yep. I would be asking questions like, well, well why do you want a new brand? And they would say, oh, our shareholders think this is old and it's not, you know, we need a fresh look. So if we could get a fresh look, how much do you think that would impact the shareholder perception or maybe the shareholder's price? Yeah. And they say, I'll bet you yeah. we could get another 3% bump on the share price. Really? So out of a billion dollar overall company valuation, you can get 3%. So what is that? That's $30 million for this one investment. <laughs> what else do you think might happen if we could refresh this brand? Oh, I think we would probably attract more customers and we'd probably get revenue to go up. Oh, great. How much do you think we could move the revenue needle with a new brand? Yep. And so all I'm doing is walking you through the exact conversations that almost anybody can have. It, yes. isn't, me, it isn't me as a brand designer walking in and saying, oh, I'm going to go make you a million dollars. Yes. It's me yes. walking in and saying, why do you want to do this? Yes. And then yes. can we put a dollar value on what you're trying to get accomplished? Yes. Yes. I understand. As I said, when I was in that creative environment, I guess in a way it was slightly kind of luxurious because in this little enclave that we occupied, you know, we generally clients would come to us and they say, this is the budget. And if it wasn't enough, we'd say, well, it's not enough. Sorry, we can't make it work. And then if they wanted to come back to us and say, we found some more money, well, that's fine. But we were in a position where we could turn away business. Whereas I think often for, you know, solo, solopreneurs or really, you know, smaller businesses that are maybe in more in the startup phase, it is, you know, it is harder for them to justify their value. So that is very helpful advice. I won't say my client's name, but anyway, I'll make sure that I share this with her. That's okay. That's okay. It, it, it's harder to justify value. But what I think that you said, which is way more interesting and important is the, we're back to fear. So mm. if you can't afford to lose a piece of business, 
your tendency is to price as low as possible so that you don't lose the piece of business. Yes. And as soon as you're willing to say, it's okay if I lose this piece of business. Yes. Suddenly you can, you can raise your prices. And what is so fascinating is you're still going to win. Yes. I love it. Oh, can I tell you a quick story? Is that okay? Yes, absolutely. So when I first, I wrote my very first book in 2010, I think. And shortly after the book gets published, someone calls me up and says, do you speak? Now, I love to speak. And I said, sure. And she, she, they go, how much do you charge? And I'd never been paid for a speech in my life. <laughs> and I, had, I have no idea how to answer this question. So mm -hmm. I said, let me get back to you. And I'm on the internet. I'm doing all this research. I'm looking stuff up. And, uh, and, I, and it looks like you know an author is going to get paid something like $2,500 or something like that. And so I said, $2,500. And they said, yes. A few weeks later, someone called and said, hey, do you speak? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, how much do you charge? I said, $3,500. And the point is, you don't really know what you're worth, but what you can do is just keep pushing the limit. Each time you win a deal, say, my price is now a little bit higher than that. Because yeah. if I can win at 25, I can win at 35 maybe. Or if yeah. I can win at 10,000, I can win at 11,000. Yeah. And so uh, it was just such a learning experience. And by the way, mm. I thought it was hilarious that I have a book on pricing and didn't know how to price my speech. Yeah, well, I can understand why, because if it's something that you've never done before, it's like, oh, I, yeah, I overlooked that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, it's such, a, such an interesting topic. I mean, I must admit, I'm learning a lot tonight as well. So, so what would be the first piece of advice then that you would give somebody who wants to raise their prices? There are a lot of different places where people can raise prices. But yeah. here is the easiest and, and most powerful. And that is, first off, let's talk about how people make decisions. Yeah. Really, when we buy something we make two different decisions. Yeah. The first decision we make is, will I buy something in the product category? And then after we've said yes, then we go out and say, okay, which one am I going to go buy? When we're making the will I decision, price isn't driving that decision. Something else mm -hmm. is. So for yeah. example, I'm guessing you're not in the market for brand new refrigerator right now. However... No. <laughs> Tomorrow morning, you wake up, your refrigerator is busted. The repair person says, I can't fix it. It's unfixable. Are yeah. you in the market for a new refrigerator? Absolutely. So you just said yes to the will I decision, and we didn't talk about price. Yeah. So what do you do next? Well, you start researching you know, alternatives, don't you? Where, what are the different refrigerators, the technologies, the retail outlets, the brands? The, and price is really important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. White goods, very price-driven, definitely. Yeah. And so this is true with almost every decision we make. We yeah. first say yes to the will I, or at least maybe, but we say yes to the will I, and then we go out and shop for the which ones. Yep. Now, the reason this is such an important point is because sometimes people never go on to make a which one decision. All they do is say, am I going to buy this or not? And then they either buy it or they don't. Yes. And they're not price sensitive when they're making that decision. Mm. So price isn't driving the decision. Something else is. Yep. So now your job is to figure out what products do you already have where people are only making a will I decision. 
Yeah. Because if you can find those products, you can raise the price 10% today and it doesn't impact any sales whatsoever. You could probably yes, sir, raise yeah. the price 25%, 50%. People might complain, but it won't matter. So let's go through some examples of where you might see this. Ooh, since I'm in the US and you're in London, let me ask you a question. Okay. When you go to the movie theater, is popcorn expensive? Yes. Ridiculous. Really expensive. Ridiculous. Yeah, really okay. expensive. Yeah. And here's why. After you've walked in the door, you've said to yourself, am I going to have popcorn today or not? But you can't go buy it anywhere else. If you're going to have it, the only place you can get it is right there. Yeah. So that's a walleye decision. You never go on to make a which one decision. No. Which is really cool. Let's see. You are driving in the middle of nowhere and uh, you see the sign that says last gas, 75 miles, 75 kilometers, doesn't matter. You look down at your gas gauge. There's an eighth of a tank of gas left. You pull off and the gas station there is four times the price as it is in the city. Are you buying gas? Yep. I'm buying it. Yeah. Of course. Because <laughs> isn't driving that decision. No. Something else. Need. Okay, here's my It's the will I decision, right? That's the whole point. Yeah. Will I buy it? Yes, I will. But I don't have a competitive alternative. Here's my favorite example of all. Okay. The iPhone. Yep. If you are using an iPhone today, my guess is you are thinking to yourself, am I going to upgrade to the new iPhone 14 or not? But what you're not thinking is, am I going to upgrade to the new iPhone 14 or switch to Android? <laughs> no. <laughs> right? And so it's only a will I decision. Because of this, Android has 72% of the worldwide market share in mobile phones. Apple has 85% of the profit. Wow. Really? Yes. Wow. And that that's is... because we just make will I decisions. Okay. So now your job is to go figure out where your will I decisions. Can I tell you where some of yours are? Yes. Okay. By the way, your clients are about to hate me. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell them to listen in. So uh, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Okay, guys. Any, right. Buckle up. <laughs> buckle up. Any client that you have today that loves you is only asking themselves, am I going to pay Jane next month or not? If you were to raise their price, some of them might leave, by the way. Some of them might say, oh, I'm not using you very much. Most of them would say, oh, it's only 10% more. Of course, I'm going to pay that, right? I'm not going to go search for someone else that I might like and might get along with. And right? So the fact that it's repeat business over and over again, you've built the reputation, your customers are just making will-I decisions every month. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. Can I now apologize to everybody that is your customer? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can. But yeah, it's, do you think a lot of it no. is to do with the, what I call this? Well, not what I call, let's say what is called the supply demand curve, because obviously that comes from marketing as well, doesn't it? You say no. Okay. There is no such thing as a supply demand curve. Okay. All right. I know people that would disagree with that, but anyway, yeah. Okay. That is totally okay. Totally okay. I think supply and demand makes a lot of sense if we're thinking about an industry, right? So what happens to the usage of gas when the price of gas goes up, right? We try to drive a little bit less, so there's a little bit less demand. Okay, got it. But you know, that's where that's where it really applies. Now, 
if one gas station on a corner lowers their price a little bit, they'll get all the demand until all the other gas stations lower their prices. Yeah. So in the world of competition, supply and demand curves don't make sense. Um, So let's talk about services and this whole issue of supply and demand, because, you know, obviously marketing drives demand. It does, you know, at the front end for a product or service. And so if you get the marketing wrong, then obviously the demand is going to go down. If you get them, if you do the marketing well, then the demand is going to go up. And of course, that has to happen at the begin, beginning before you get into the conversation uh, about pricing or before you actually, you know, put your price on a product or service that people are going to buy, right? So they are linked in a way, aren't they? But are you going to say no? They're very linked. Oh my gosh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So we started the conversation out earlier and I had said, I only think about value-based pricing. The customer's value, how much value do they get? So Mm -hmm. let me talk in the B2B sense for a second. We'll make this easy because in B2B, it's easier to do. Yeah, yeah. In the B2B sense, why would someone pay you money? Well, they pay you money because they think they're going to make more money than they just paid you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Which means they're going to get some results, some quantifiable result. Mm-hmm. means they solve some problem they had inside their company. Yep. Using your product. Now, yep. the biggest problem that I see marketers have, salespeople have, pricing people have, is we don't understand what are the problems our buyers are truly trying to solve. Oh, I totally agree. Yep. And if we could learn to articulate that, We can figure out how much value there really is on the other end when we solve that problem. Yep. B, when we do our marketing should be about problems and results, not about our features and our products. Totally. And and so I absolutely agree with the comment. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, such an interesting conversation. So Mark, let's talk a little bit because we've talked a lot about pricing, but we haven't really talked about you. How did you come to be an expert in this and how did you come to be so passionate about this? I mean, were you you thinking about it at the age of 10 or did you sort of hit upon it as a career direction when you were in your 20s or what? How did it happen? Okay. So it did happen at the age of 10, believe it or not, Uh, but not in the way way we imagined. I remember going to the grocery store with my mom when I was a kid and I would see prices that ended in nine right? 69, 99. And I always wondered why do companies do that? Do they think we're stupid? Right? I mean, we know 99 is a dollar. So what's the big deal? Yeah. And, uh, and so yeah. 20 years later, I was in a doctoral program at UC Berkeley and I had a chance to play with scanner panel data. Now this is the data that grocery stores collect when we use our loyalty cards. Oh yeah. And I was able to statistically prove that nine cents works. And I was oh, able yeah? to tease out why it worked. And uh, by the way, the reason it works is because we are lazy subtractors. Uh huh. But I just fell in love with understanding how people use prices to make decisions. And I've focused in that area, I'll say off and on, but I've always had a focus in that area ever since then. That's very interesting. So in the kind of online marketing space, we're particularly keen on numbers, on you know amounts that end with a seven. So we love the 997 and the 97 and the 
47 and the, all those numbers. So what is it that's magic about the seven? And is it better than seven, better than the nine? I wish I knew the answer to that. I do not. Okay. Here's the answer I can give you, there is no doubt in my mind that e-commerce firms have done A-B testing on 47 yeah. versus 49 and found that 47 worked better for them. And so they use it. That is yeah. the only answer I could give you. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting though, isn't it? Because as you said, you know, it kind of points to the fact that really we humans are lazier and less, well, less thinking really than we imagine ourselves to be. Yeah. We're much, and, and much more driven, yeah, by basic things. Yeah. And if we're going to talk about price endings for a second, I want to make sure I talk to all the solopreneurs out there, right? Yes. There, there are two or three things that you want to think about when you think about your price endings. One thing yeah. to think about is if a price ends in nine, right? So whether it's you know $7,900 or 79 cents, the price ends in nine, then people tend to look at that as a discount or it's a good price or it's on sale. When a price ends in zero, so let's say $100, $1,000, $10,000, even $5,000, when it's a roundish number, people tend to think it's a high quality product. Oh, that's interesting. Fascinating. It is. Well, here's, a, here's an experiment that you can go do. I did this when I was in my doctoral yeah. program. Go to a shoe store mm. and what you're going to find is there's a price point in the shoe store where the prices stop ending in nine and start oh. ending in zero. Right. Really? So you'll hear something like 59, 79, 99, 120, 150, 200. And Very it's pretty fascinating to see that. But I'm going to tell you that all of my prices, for me personally, all of my prices are big round numbers. Okay. Right. Because I like saying I charge $10,000 and it's like I am worth it. That's what I charge. Yeah. Yeah, because of that perception that it's a quality thing. Because as you said, there's the statistical evidence. So that is very interesting. So if you want to, yeah. Can you imagine hiring a high-end consultant for $999 an hour? Uh, no. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you get a dollar off, a dollar off, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, that's really funny. So, Mark, you've also, you know, you're an entrepreneur as well as a consultant and an advisor and, you know, an expert in pricing. So you've actually sold three businesses of your own, haven't you? So tell us about those. Well, I sold two businesses of my own and one from a friend. Okay. A friend. okay. Yeah. So when I say I started and sold three businesses, I'm currently in the third business I started and I haven't sold. Yeah, right yes. Yet. So, so what about these two businesses? Yeah. So, so the first one was a home automation business. I started this with a friend of mine. We had built a product, a home control system. And I learned so much in doing that whole process of building up a company and hiring people. And, and we ended up selling it off to another company. And it was such a fascinating experience because we rarely, until we start to run a company that actually has employees, we rarely understand well how companies run. Even though I've had jobs and I've been in, inside companies, you just don't get how the company runs and how every single part of the company is so important to run well. Otherwise, yeah. the company will run. Yeah. Uh, and so that was an amazing learning experience with that one. The second Sounds one like was a very a, interesting business. Yeah. Yeah. 
The other one was I created a pricing training company right mm. after I wrote my first book. And then mm. I ended up selling it to a bigger training company. Okay. And so I worked for eight years as a trainer, training pricing for another company. Yes. And then I left and just started this one and do what I do now. Yes. Fantastic. That's amazing. So yeah, it's such, it's been such a pleasure to have you here with us tonight, Mark. So tell us where can people go to buy your books or to find out more about you? Yeah. So my third book, Selling Value, is only available on Amazon. Okay. Uh, the other two books yeah. are available any place you can buy books. Yes. The best place to find out about me, I put out so much free content. Yeah. I am on LinkedIn a lot. So you'll yes. find me on LinkedIn, send me a LinkedIn connection. I connect with most people. Yeah. And then uh, my website is impactpricing.com. And mm. we just have tons of free content there. Uh, we yes. have links to yeah. the podcast. I put out three podcasts a week. Um, yes. We put yes. out a blog a week. So That's amazing. A ton of content, three podcasts a week on the topic of pricing. I can't even imagine how much of an expert people will be if they go and listen to those three podcasts. That is just incredible. Wow. Well, I just wanted to thank you so much for joining us. So thank you very much again for joining us. And uh, yeah, I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you so much, Jane. This was very fun. Jane Bader is the Smart Connector, a London-based, passionate serial entrepreneur, brand marketer, and business growth exploder who helps overlooked and undervalued consultants and sector experts generate consistent, scalable revenues through becoming the go-to choice of their dream clients. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate you liking, rating, and reviewing the podcast on the platform you've heard it on. And check out the links in the show notes if you'd like to connect with Jane or any of her guests in person. Thank you for listening and come back soon.